Mama, we're all full of lies Mama, we're meant for the flies And right now they're building a coffin your size Mama, we're all full of lies Chapter 7 At 11.30 that night, with my dad safely snoring in his room, I morphed a seagull and flew to one of the little urban parks scattered throughout the downtown area. Benches, shrubs, trash cans, a few spindly trees, a place where the suits go to eat their bagel sandwiches. I landed on the dusty ground to pick through the bounty that is an overturned garbage can when I heard the call of a bird of prey. Reluctantly, I turned away from the remains of a Euro and took off to join a red-tailed hawk coming in from the north and a northern harrier coming from the south. A scavenger like the seagull are good flyers, low and fast, but not nearly as good as hawks and harriers. Too fat from gorging on hot dogs and clams, maybe. By the time I joined Axe and Tobias on the roof of the Sutherland Tower, I was exhausted from pushing for all that altitude. The light's not on in the office. Tobias said. She's there, I said confidently. She had to be. Let's try the door. The door Tobias had told us about earlier wasn't keeping anyone out, least of all a roach. Clearly at one point someone had pried his way in with a crowbar, leaving gouges plenty wide for even a hefty seagull. But roach was the way to go. They say that after the big one, total nuclear annihilation... When every other living being has been turned into a pile of glowing mud, roaches will still be powering over the ruins of civilization. The amazing, indestructible roach. They adapt almost immediately to whatever poison is unleashed on them, and they eat virtually anything. Books, glue, plants, dead fish, old sneakers. It's almost impossible to destroy them. I like that about cockroaches. The wind was whipping. Heavy clouds covered the moon and the stars. Only the lights on in the surrounding buildings pierced the gloom. We were three mutants on a depressing, deserted island in the sky. An acre of tarred gravel and air conditioning machinery surrounded us. There was a flagpole, no flag. The hoist kept slapping the pole with a sort of hollow twang. The sight of axe halfway between Andalite and Cockroach was more interesting than disturbing. Like an armadillo from planet Kill or Be Killed. A cat-sized beetle with a shell made of steel and six roach legs, each with an andalite hoof. Add to that a foot-long tail with a spike made to stab, and you have one mean-looking being. Tobias, on the other hand, looked disgusting. Red-tailed hawks and cockroaches were not meant to merge. You've got absolute majesty on the one hand and absolute utility on the other. Mother Nature didn't come up with a bird bug on her own for good reason. Tobias's beak had transformed into a jaw, opening and shutting involuntarily. Pencil-sized antennae jutted from his head. Two hairy stumps poked from the sides of his hawk neck. His wings had molted and shifted onto his back. I watched as they hardened into translucent shell. Below them, I could see roach wings growing out of the top of his head. I shuddered and started my own morph. 
focused on all that was Roach. Garbage, dark corners, bathrooms, open cereal boxes. My skin hardened first, scalped to toes. My arms fused to my sides, then migrated to my back. Four legs crept out of my sides, and I fell forward. The floor had already been getting closer and closer as I shrank to the size of a quarter. My vision pixelated. Compound roach eyes, with about 2,000 lenses, were in place. My antennae twitched as the roach's amazing sense of smell surged to life. Roaches can smell everything. Good smells like bacon frying. Bad smells like dog poo. The roof smelled like tar and electricity and cigarette butts. My innards lost definition and became one long intestinal tract. My mouth lost its lips. My tongue gravitated back into my throat and became a crop, a kind of second mouth. And then the cockroach brain turned on. I was in the open. Way open. No shelter. No protection. Fear, fear, fear. I charged ahead and narrowly missed ramming another cockroach. I turned, scrambled across the tar paving of the roof, skittered across a pile of broken glass, and launched. I did an evil Knievel into axe. Murko, Tobias, I believe you may be in the grip of the cockroach instincts, Axe said. Oh, and you're not? Tobias countered. I see you. You're six inches up the flagpole. Okay, okay, everyone stop, I said. Nobody move. Where are we heading? The door, which is, well... Ten minutes later, we found our way back to the door. We crept through the ravaged door and skittered wildly down the steps. There are two ways a roach can go down a set of stairs. It can climb across each tread and down each riser, or it can simply leap off each step and land on the step below. Unfortunately, we had a lot of steps to go to get down to the 22nd floor. So, I suggested a third possibility. Chapter 8 The railing is continuous, I pointed out. We could race down along the railing. What if we fall off? Tobias asked. We land on the steps, big deal, I said. What if we fall off to the right? I was afraid he was going to bring that up. Roach eyes couldn't see that far, but I was pretty sure it was a straight drop all the way down. Then we find out just how far a roach can fall without getting killed. We do have to watch our time and morph, Tobias said. The railing was cylindrical painted steel. A bar welded here and there, but basically snaking downward in a long, steep series of tight ovals. Climbing it was hard, even for a roach. The paint was slick. Fortunately, it had been painted many times, and the cracks and runs of many paint jobs gave us footholds. Still, it was like climbing the Washington Monument. At the top, we scrambled over onto the railing itself. Picture one of those Olympic sea jumps. Only, you can't see well enough to see the end. And it's curved, so you can slide off left or right. And if it's right, you are going to fall for about three days. I was in the lead. I think we just go for it, I said. I mean, all out instead of creeping along. Twenty floors, Tobias said. Two turns equal a floor. Forty turns. I will keep track, Axe offered. 
Axe has no faith in our human ability to do simple things like count. With good reason. The horses are at the starting gate, I said. And they're off. I motored my roach legs and rocketed down the railing. Ah! Zoom! Down the railing. You think a roach looks fast from five feet up as you're trying to stomp it on the kitchen floor? It looks a lot faster down at roach level. My face was a millimeter off the ground, like being strapped face down underneath someone's porch. My legs were splayed too wide, so that with each of my steps, each of my six legs slipped off into the air. The result was a sort of lurching, out-of-control run that had me skimming along on my belly half the time. Ah! Tobias yelled from behind me. First turn! I yelled. I hit the turn going at what felt like 200 miles an hour. I slid to my right to catch the banked corner. It was total toboggan. It was the luge with rockets strapped to your butt. It was a ride that a skateboarder would have traded his kidneys for. Down at insane speed, feet motoring, slipping, belly skinning, antennae whipping back. The road was a balance beam that had been replaced by a pipe. It was insane! Turn! I whipped into a second turn, and now my momentum had taken over. There was no stopping. There was no slowing down. We were out of control. We were projectiles, barely making contact with the steel, banking into 5G turns that would have dropped our guts out through our toes. If we had guts. Or toes. Floor after floor. Bear escape after bear escape. Skittering, scrabbling, fighting, running like someone who's being dragged by a bus. Two more turns and we are there! Axe yelled. What do we do? Jump! Jump? When? No! Axe yelled. Chapter 9 I went into the final turn. No banking this time. It was time for the sled to go off the path, while the announcer said, Oh, ladies and gentlemen, there's been a terrible accident. I hope everyone's okay. I hit the turn. I did not drop down to take the turn. I kept motoring, straight ahead. Straight ahead, and suddenly, my little roach feet were motoring on air. Ah! I fell. I fell a long way. Plop. I hit the floor. Plop, plop. Axe and Tobias landed nearby. You okay? Yeah, Axe man? I am fine. That was cool, I said. Way cool, Tobias agreed. Let's never, ever do that again, I said. Never, ever. Repetition of that activity would be a very bad idea, Axe agreed. We scooted over to, then under a fire door, with the steel scraping our backs, and into the hallway of the 22nd floor. The hall was dark, except for a weak ray of light from the bottom of a closed door just ahead. We raced along the industrial carpet, hugging the wall. Then the door to the lighted office opened. A man stepped out, and the hall lights went on. Panic! Nobody move! We stood stock still as the looming figure took another step. 
IRS and their audits, the man muttered. He turned the lights off and locked the door behind him. Then he went ballistic. Roach, he cried. I felt the violent vibration of his massive human foot slam down on the carpet. Axe! Tobias! I am right behind you, Marco, Axe replied. I think he got a real roach, Tobias said. Just stay put. Freeze. The man walked toward the elevator, muttering about how much rent he was paying for his office, and there were roaches, and they said it was a luxury building. Ha! Huh. There was a ding, announcing the elevator's arrival. The hall lights went off. The elevator door closed. We were alone on the 22nd floor. Except, of course, for my mom. No, not my mom, I told myself. I couldn't start thinking that way. She was Visser 1. That's who we were up against. We scurried on until we reached what I was pretty sure was the door to the Visser's office. Up along the door jam, then across the surface of the door to the base of the window set in the center. The Roger's vision was not so spectacular. Still, I could make out enough of the room to decide it looked like a normal office. A reception desk? A plush chair? A leather couch? Phones? Computer? Printer? A copy machine? A coffee maker? Nothing yerk about it at all. Perhaps we have the wrong location, Axe said. I know I saw her go in here this morning. We've got to go in. I didn't survive the roller coaster from hell to turn around and give up, Tobias said as he led the way. We skittered back down the door and tried to squeeze under it. No luck. An impenetrable seal, Axe noted. Probably around the entire door frame. No one puts this tight a seal around an average office door. I sighed. Looks like the air vents are best bet. I led the way up the wall and through the air vent I'd been sucked into that morning. Which way? Tobias asked. I'm guessing to the right. We scrambled through scatterings of lint and ash to a vent that opened into what had to be the Visser's lair, assuming the Visser was preparing to go to war with a small country. Hologram paint, Axe explained. One can paint a window, project a hologram onto the back of this paint, and thereby disguise a room. The Visser has projected the picture of a normal office onto the back of the paint. Very clever. So anyone who passes by, like a security guard, won't know what's going down in here, Tobias added. It's got to be on the exterior windows too, I surmised. To fool window washers. Or red hawks. Let's do this quick and get out of here. In almost total darkness, we crawled out through the grate and along the ceiling until we reached a wall, then down the wall and onto the gray industrial carpeting. Oh, the morph first, Axe said, in case there is need for defense. In a few minutes, we were all in our normal forms, with our keen andalite, hawk, and human senses. It was then I wished I was still a roach. A roach would not have seen so clearly what I saw now. In the corner of the room was a small portable yerk pool, like a stainless steel jacuzzi. The steel-bound briefcase I'd seen that morning was nearby. On the lip of the portable yerk pool was a large clamp, a sort of collar. My mother's neck was in that collar. It held her tight. It held her head sideways, 
so that one side of her face, one ear, was pressed into the water. The rest of her body stood awkwardly, helplessly bent over. The yurk is feeding, Ak said coldly. A yurk must return to the yurk pool every three days to absorb Kenjona rays. Otherwise, it starves. The complex box was a portable Kenjona. My mother was, for this time, for just these few moments, my mother. The yurk slug that was Visser 1 was out of her head, in the liquid, feeding. Right now, she was my mom. Five steps, and I would be beside her. I moved. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs auditory experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Uh, as we get through another three chapters of... Have I mentioned, actually, this chapter uh, is book 30. It's got 30 chapters, which is divisible by three, so I didn't have to do any math or figure out any compromises for this. Really appreciate that one. Um, anyway, uh, we got messages, is my point, I guess. <laughs> Uh, the first one comes in through Tumblr, uh, that's audiomorphscast.tumblr.com, uh, from Tomato Pudding, who says, I have been looking forward to Book 30. I've been, I have so been looking forward to Book 30. I think it's my favorite Marco-narrated book of the series. In general, though, Axe is my favorite narrator. As an autistic person, I feel so much kinship with him and his difficulty in understanding social situations. Rachel is definitely a close second. The others so often see her as a sort of as a sort of cut-and-dry, stupidly brave action hero. It's fascinating to get into her head and see how wrong that outward assessment of her really is. On the other hand, my favorite character overall is Tobias. Which, is, which of the group is your favorite narrator? Does it align with your favorite character, or is it totally different? As much as we all know it won't happen, is there a secondary character you would have liked to see narrate a book in the main series? Keep up the amazing work. Uh, thank you so much for the question and, and the comments. Um, I'm I'm glad you're enjoying this. I think book 30 is, for our member, pretty dramatic. Um, so I was looking forward to getting to this as well. Um, who is my favorite narrator and does it align with my, with my favorite character? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I, hmm. I think maybe my favorite narrator... I actually had to give this some thought because I don't know if I've ever... Uh, Give, given this uh, a thought, and I think you're right. I think it has to be Rachel. Um, actually, you think you said your favorite is Marco. Sorry. Um, <laughs> uh, I think Rachel's narration is really interesting. I get you pointed out the kind of um, contradiction between uh, how how the world sees her and her interiority, which is also interesting because how the world sees her, uh, I was referring to Animorphs, but actually how the general public sees her and how she is with the Animorphs is already a contradiction. And then there's a second contradiction within how the Animorphs perceive her um, and use her and who she is. Um, I think Rachel's got a ton of ton of nuance in her character. Um, it's it's fun having a character that's so bottled up that we also get to like peek into the interiority of. Um, so I really enjoy her narrations. Um, I think that sort of uh, conflict creates really interesting moments in her narration. Um, and that doesn't align with my total... I guess none of them are totally different because I think they all are interconnected. But my favorite uh, my favorite character I think I've said before is Cassie. Uh, I think Cassie is uh, the heart of the group. And um, I don't know, Book 19 did a lot of heavy lifting for me to decide Cassie's my favorite um, character. 
Um, and then, is there a secondary character that I would have liked to see narrate a book in the main series? Um, the obvious one to get out of the way is David. I think uh, David had to be uh, who he was, which is like a real piece of crap. You know, uh, I won't say irredeemable because he was, after all, like 12. But like he he couldn't have any nuance to his character, really, um, because of how those books end, right? Um, you can't have the Animorphs do something like abandon him to live out the rest of his life as a rat on an island um without making it uh without without making him a pretty just all around terrible guy and i know this series in applegate likes to play in the sort of gray morality um and hard decisions these characters have to make but like if we were to give david like the interiority of a pov viewpoint that's redundant, excuse me, of a POV. Um, I think that would have made him too human. And I think that would have made, um, you know, readers wouldn't be able to live with the actions the Animorphs would have done. It would have shifted the Animorphs from an, an ambiguous action that would haunt them to just an outright evil action. Because <laughs> realistically, um, you know, that's what it is. Uh, you you trapped a child on an island to die. That's horrific. But so is, you know, their other option, which was to execute him. Um, overall, poor choice there to induct David, maybe. Um, so th David's the obvious one, but maybe a less obvious one is... Um, I think maybe... Maybe a... Hmm. I was going to say a Toby book, but no, I don't think that's quite right. Um... There's there's a group I would like to hear more from. I'm I'm debating on saying it because I'm trying to I guess not spoil anything. I guess it's the title of my um donation tier, right? Uh, or, or it was gonna before I realized that would be you know the wrong uh, the auxiliary animorphs. I guess uh is who I'm thinking of. So kind of David adjacent. He was also in a way an auxiliary animorph. Um, I just think they get kind of the short end of the stick of the series, and I would have liked to uh, spend a little bit more time with those characters in their viewpoints. Uh, so those are probably the two. And of course, everyone, including me, says there should have been a Taxon uh, Chronicles starring Abron. Um, but that's not a mainline book, so that's a different conversation. Oh, and this message ends with, keep up the amazing work. I don't know if I read that. So once again, thank you, uh, Tomato, for writing in, and thank you for asking the questions uh, and letting me just ramble. Uh, I got one more message. It's coming in from the Gmail. That's audiomorphscast at gmail.com. Uh, it's from Christopher, who titled this OMFG, and writes, Bro! You just gave me the biggest chills of my life! So here I am at work, listening like always. I'm in the HBC, and your screams when they destroy the scoop are some of the voice, best voice acting screams I've heard. Sean Schemmel, be damned! In parentheses, Goku's voice actor. Thank you for the clarification. I did not know that was his name. Uh, you're doing so good. You're doing so damn good, man. I've been listening for about a month now, and I've gotten here, and I've almost cried several times. I've laughed and gotten so angry. Your skills are great, man. Keep it up. Can't wait to get to the finish line. Thank you so much for writing in, Christopher. Thank you so much for enjoying it. Um, I'm going to once again attribute a lot of the success of this to Kay Applegate's uh, strong writing, especially hork Chronicles, I think, is, is one of her best written and one of the best books in the series. Uh, I think it's just really well done. Um, but thank you so much for enjoying it. Um, thank you for 
appreciating me just hollering uh, into the mic. Uh, I will say in Sean Schemmel's defense, uh, he has to do that, you know, eight hours a day to get the take right. Uh, so he has to scream in a way that isn't going to blow out his vocal cords. I don't have that problem. I can just rip it um, at 100% because I'm only doing like maybe two takes because uh, I'm not a professional <laughs> and I don't have to. So, um, you know, it's a trade-off. I get to do maybe a better scream, but he does a very good scream for, you know, 200 episodes or whatever Dragon Ball ran. Actually, I don't think Dragon Ball was actually that long of a series. It was just that, you know, when it first came over, there was issues with the distribution rights. Um, and so you... Cartoon Network played the Frieza saga for, like, an entire calendar year uh, and nothing else from Dragon Ball. So it felt like it went on forever. Um, that's a fun fact if you didn't know. That's why Dragon Ball felt the way it did. Um, distribution rights. What a pain. Thank you so much for writing in, Christopher. If you'd like to write in, I've already mentioned two ways. But a third one is uh, my website. That's theapodcalypse.com. The Apodcalypse, like Apocalypse, but with a D in the middle. That also includes... Other stuff I do, none of that, which is really currently active. Um, my rewatch podcast is about to start again. We had a bit of an oopsie with some files, and I also I've been quite lazy about that, but I'm about to get to posting once more. So uh, check check that out, I guess. We're going to wrap up Riverdale. Um, that's That's all I think I have and all I want to say today. So thank you all for listening. And I will see you all next week. My name is Daniel, and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight.